0: I basically argue that all religious ideas are dangerous. Not only those we consider extremists, but those we embrace. Even those that stand at the heart of faith. And the second thesis of the book is that most religious traditions have known this
1: all along. Hi, my name's Leo WT and you have found your way to the Conversations Podcast. Conversations exist to create spiritually-minded conversations about life. We desire to create safe space for dialogue and community. We desire to come together regularly and intentionally to generate conversations about life, belief, and the intersection of the two. Everyone is welcome at The conversation. All right, my friends, you have caught a little bit of our background banter, but if you know me at all, you're probably familiar with my banter. It's a thing that happens all the time. I can see my wife's head nodding in the background, but here we are. So it does make up for a good title of our little series that we've got going on here called Conversations. Uh, For those of you who it may be your first time, we do spiritually minded conversations about life. We come together regularly and intentionally with the desire to generate conversations about life, belief, and the Sections of the two. And what's really important for you to know is that we do that without pretext. Uh, you can come and you can join the conversation no matter what your starting point is. The only thing that we're really gathering around is just having an intentional, spiritually minded conversation. When I say spiritual, I don't necessarily mean religious. You can be spiritual and religious. You can be spiritual and not religious. Um, but all I'm saying is we're thinking about the things that you can't taste, tell, uh, taste, touch, smell, or see, right? We're talking about those things that exist to be in the beyond and in the fray and that's what we're here to talk about tonight. Um, So this is Conversations. I'm Leo and I have a very special guest with me today, Um, someone who I have been kind of pestering for a while now Um, and so I'm ever so excited. I'm going to let her introduce herself before we get started.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel Mikva. I am a professor at Chicago Theological Seminary. I teach Jewish studies and interreligious studies Uh, Before I came to CTS, I was a congregational rabbi. I'm uh, ordained in the reform movement, Um, and I love doing that work. But I also feel like historically, and in my heart of hearts, a rabbi is above all a teacher. That role has changed in the United States a lot under the influence of Protestantism. But to me, it's still really about a rabbi as a teacher. So I decided to spend the rest of my life as a rabbi, as a teacher. Um, I like that. And I came to CTS because I was really inspired by the idea that um, they felt that in order to be a religious leader in our world today, which has people who orient around religion in all kinds of different ways, you have to know something about a religion other than your own. Um, And so they
1: wanted me to come. And I said, that sounds great. So here I am. Right. So, uh, you know, I think that is that's what drew me to CTS. Um, and for those of you who are watching, uh, Dr. McFa and I are getting to know each other on the spot, so welcome to it. You're you're watching our first date here. But um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My dad is a pastor, ordained okay. in a, a P, I am a PK all the way, and I had a lot of friends that were MKs and PKs, that was just what I did. Um, and so my dad and my Bampa came out, uh, so my dad and grandfather came out of a small, um, kind of evangelical Southern Pentecostal kind of Of denomination that originates in Ohio. Uh, My dad is ordained to the Christian Missionary Alliance. Then after that, and I grew up, man, I'm I was convinced i was going to be a pastor from the time that i was five uh, my earliest memories are holding an upside down like gideon's new testament leading a service <laughs> like at my grandparents house right um but then i i came out uh it, during my junior and senior year of pastoral ministry college uh, that i hold a bachelor's of science in pastoral ministry um which if i was if i was a uh, cis and straight and male uh, by birth. I would have already been ordained, but here we are. Um, I just have this student debt and no title, so we'll we'll just keep pushing onward, but um, (laughs) I grew up consummately spiritually curious, and I really was convinced I was going to be a pastor, and then I came out, and then I was like, man, this this whole system is just rotten through, and when I was coming out I was also engaging in my first multicultural experiences because I had grown up in Western Pennsylvania, really small town, no diversity. And so I found myself coming to a place where everything I was taught was going, like was telling me everything I was feeling was wrong. And then I was meeting all these people that I was told were other. And so this kind of, It's like a giant ball of yarn and I just started pulling on the thread and, you know, here we are 10 years later, but what led me to CTS is that in my undergrad degree, I didn't learn anything about anything other than evangelicalism, like not even other flavors of Christianity, like my college, my college believed that Catholic people were going to hell, like, Um, and I think that that's the coolest thing that CTS is doing. Like, we are coexisting. Like, I, I think probably at least half of my history of Christian thought class are Muslim folks, um, you know, and I'm reading, um, you know, Black womenist literature written by a Black womanist uh, rabbi. Like, it's just, it's so much better than what I thought it could be. Um, but what I find myself thinking is, like, okay, I'm here and we're doing this and practically it works for me. But our world doesn't think that a Christian and a Muslim and a Jew can have a conversation, which happened seven days ago here on Conversations, you know. Um, And I think that's what drew me to CTS and to your book, like, to be honest.
0: Well, these conversations, of course, happen all the time, but there there are areas where conflict emerges. and, um, And there are also you know, folks who do feel like somehow even learning about a different tradition will somehow undermine their faith. Whereas what we find those of us who work in this interreligious space Mm -hmm. is these rich contacts actually deepen our own faith in that it, it sort of helps us see our faith in a new light and thus it becomes richer and thicker and deeper and um, and sometimes when we have to explain ourselves to people who who don't get it right I mean rem- you mentioned history of Christian thought I remember one of the first times a non-Christian was in that course I don't teach it but the professor told the story she raised her hand and she said who's Paul right and right and there were probably half a dozen Christians in the room who should have asked that question because they weren't you know, churched in a way that really helped them understand who Paul was. But they would never dream of asking that question. Right, and, right. You know, she liberated the whole class by raising her hand and saying, who's Paul? And then then the way that the different, you know, the professor and different students in the class tried to say who
1: Paul is, they really had to think deeply Yeah. About their own faith. Yeah, and, about their own tradition. Yeah. And, And that see that's been my experience. Um, So uh, I kind of took a break from church. Um, After I came out, I tried to do the ordination thing and it just went sideways multiple times because people were like didn't respect my degree or they didn't respect my orientation. And it was just a lot of, you know, it was too much, it was too much church politicking, right? Um, but I came back into the religious conversation this past summer, I had really just been working in social work and doing my own thing um, and just trying trying to do social uh, social justice stuff. That was what I was channeling all my religious energy into. But this past summer, a church uh, in my area that's it's pretty prominent. It's a Jesus is your boyfriend kind of song, kind of intelligent light. I call it the church of the sexy coffee bar. And they were, <laughs> <laughs> right, it's pretty accurate. And they were preaching that Black Lives Matter was evil. And their basis for Black Lives Matter being evil was because Black Lives Matter supported LGBTQ people. Now, first of all, in my head, I was like, y'all don't even know because black people and gay people like don't even always like each other. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, but, you know, I wasn't going to stand stand by and let like that kind of thought fly by. So I literally made a Facebook video and I was like, I don't even know if I want to be a part of the church, but I'm not going to let you say that. And now here I am, you know, in seminary again and, and having these types of conversations. But I think that It's your
0: shape the church of the future. So that's
1: That's it. That's it. And that's where I really want to kind of talk to like pick your brain about because I've been reading your stuff and listening to podcasts of yours. Like I have a little bit of like a fangirl situation going on with you. Uh, because if people are rock stars to me I would have to say someone like yourself would be a rock star like I said I'm just consummately religiously curious and I'm very nerdy and and you're out there doing the work Um, and you didn't check your brain at the door and miraculously no lightning bolts have struck you and people's (laughs) lives are still benefiting so I wanted to kind of talk to you about just this idea of like like what prompted you to write this book like where did you get to the point where, first of all, where you had the balls to say, let's talk about the elephant in the, in the interfaith room. Um, but, but where did where did this idea or what kind of need did you sense that brought you to the place of, I need to put this in a book?
0: So <clears throat> I started thinking about dangerous religious ideas because I was doing a lot of teaching and speaking in religious communities, mm-hmm. um, as well as in the academy, et cetera. But I kept mm-hmm. from jumping into two assumptions. So in more traditional spaces, this concern I kind of mentioned before, but this idea that even asking critical questions would somehow weaken faith. Yes, um, yes. And that you weren't supposed to do that. Uh, And then in in more progressive spaces, people often imagine that they'd already fixed all their dangerous ideas, right? Their traditions, their ideas, their version of religion never did any harm whatsoever. And I wanted people to re-examine these assumptions and to see the deep roots of self-critical faith that yeah. are designed to strengthen faith and improve it, and yeah. to recognize that this work is never done. Because the minute we assume that all the dangers of religion belong to somebody else or somebody else's version of religion, right, um, we become part of the problem. Yes. So... First, I started teaching a course because that's a luxury professors have when you're thinking about stuff and you want to work it out in your head. You get a whole bunch of smart people in the room.
1: You verbally (laughs) process for a semester, right? And and
0: make them think about it with you, right? So, but now I've written the book and I basically argue that all religious ideas are dangerous. Not only those we consider extremists, but those we embrace. Even those that stand at the heart of faith. And the second thesis of the book is that most religious traditions have known this all along. Right? Mm-hmm. They've understood this peril and so they transmitted along with the sacred stories these tools of self-critique as an essential dimension of faith. The seeds for this work are planted deep in the soil of religious thought. This isn't some secular attack. It's not some modern or postmodern critique. It's actually the way we were supposed <sighs> to understand we're supposed to do religion. We're supposed to cultivate these seeds. Yeah. So if, we, so if we want you know, the church of the future or the synagogue of the future to be a force for blessing in the world, hmm. which it surely can be and has been, then hmm. that's work we all have to do.
1: Exactly. And I think that's the thing. So for me, I don't, I kind of describe myself it, at this point, we've thrown, I have slapped the title heretic on fully and just ran, it it. you know, yeah, exactly. Like I think the heretics are the people who want to know shit, right? So like, I'm okay with that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, and I want to speak up for heresy because a lot of
0: times students at CTS will come up with something they think is really radical. And I say, oh, that yeah. was a third century heresy, you know, yes. I mean, it, meaning that there's a whole bunch of people serious about this religion who really believe this and not that and people yeah. voted on it in the council right <laughs> democracy except that if you were on the losing side of the democracy suddenly you were a heretic
1: yeah exactly and
0: origin has i mean if you think about it origin talks about heresy the way it was understood in ancient greek is it's just a choice right? yes. it's not that one is inside the box and the other's outside i choose this or i choose that and yeah. it, you know it's we've we've looked, laden it with a
1: lot of baggage, but. Yeah, I love that. I read about that in history. Yeah, I read that in history of Christian thought and I was like, I'm gonna take this on. Like someone called me an apostate because I brought up the idea of how like Jezebel might have been a more faithful believer and more committed to her God than like David was. And someone just, they just were like apostate, heretic, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, sorry. I read the Bible and thought about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, My favorite thing is when people are like, oh, what did, you know, what did Jesus say this or what about that and I'm like bro you know that like that word didn't exist in in his time so Jesus never said like Jesus never said the word church you know what I mean I can't even get into it (laughs) but um I I really like the idea from your book from your book and I'm I I didn't um I'm in the middle of semester so I didn't get to read everything but I kind of hit like as much of it as I could but I liked the starting point that you came from of like yes religious ideas can be and are dangerous, and not just the big ones, you know, Uh, and I felt like that was something that needed to be put out there, because so many people have been critical of religion for that reason, and religious people are like, we can't hear you, (laughs) right, right, Um, and so I liked that you just put it out there, like, let's just lay lay it on the table, Um, but I thought that one of the, the primary things that you pointed out that was really, really so spot on is that if you are going to create, uh, if you're going to have a religion, even if that religion is love, if you're going to have a group based on love, anytime you create a group there's an an other. And as a person who is a queer person, um, and I'm coming to understand that I believe in queer theology, even though I'm just learning what that is, I'm coming to understand that where I've come to in my thoughts meshes with that, right? But how do you have a system that can be as beautiful as religion can be, but fundamentally it's a system and there's always something outside of it. So like, I don't know, like, I would love to kind of talk about your thoughts on that, because like you said in the book, like religion inherently creates an other when it creates, you know, when it creates itself. And so like, as someone who's queer and doesn't really like binaries and doesn't think they're healthy, like, how do we, how do we navigate that? You know what I mean? Well, I
0: mean, I compare religion to the power of fire, right? Something that in its variety of forms is responsible for great blessing. I mean, we can't even imagine our world without it, mm-hmm. um, but it's also capable of ferocious destruction. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the action of a sociopath, but more often it's an accident, right? It's mm-hmm. a byproduct or or something that we've justified as necessary um, for some greater good. For some you know, reason, right? So, yeah. Right, and um, And so something like the building of community is one of these perfect examples of this double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of belonging and belonging to something transcendent, right? That connects you to something larger than yourself that has purpose in existence, right? Those are life-giving kinds of capacities. But the better we are at that, often the stronger the barriers feel to inside versus outside. And it can be large scale, like you, you count as a Christian or you don't, mm-hmm. right? It can be medium scale, which is we're an open and affirming church or we're not. right? Yeah. And it can be teeny tiny scale. Like we have this Bible study at this group and we all love coming to study together. In fact, we've been studying together for years. And that means that when Joe Schmo walks in, it's really hard to break in and to feel like you belong in that group because that group already belongs together. So this exactly. is a human dilemma. Yeah, I mean, some of that, sometimes it has, you know, these ethical dimensions, but it, mm-hmm. but and but it's so complicated. So one of the things I love to do with groups when I'm talking about, about the book is to ask them to identify a dangerous religious idea. And mm-hmm. a lot of times people will start, of course, with somebody else's
1: ideas. Or of um, course, it was right. that guy over there, it was him. <laughs> right. His idea. And
0: I, right, and then I see, no, no, not no, self-critical right Mm -hmm. and it takes them a while to move past say it's a progressive christian group and they'll first critique evangelical christianity i said no 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 don't critique christianity critique your christianity yes so a pastor of a progressive open and affirming church said we have a problem around belonging and inclusiveness because we are open and affirming and we have a member who who um doesn't feel that way and mm-hmm. acted out and committed some anti lgbtq vandalism in the church mm-hmm. and what do we do are we inclusive right. or are we exclusive in the way that can affirm these people but not that guy mm-hmm. and you know and there need to be spaces where obviously where lgbtq people feel safe yeah. And maybe that guy isn't welcome, but then you have right. to grapple with the fact that you've built a wall again. Exactly. So, um, you know, and progressives are great at not recognizing the way in which we've othered um, more, tr- more theologically conservative folks,
1: Absolutely. Right? And sort
0: of put them outside the pale and say that they don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And they can it, disagree with them about something really, really important.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But somehow we have to avoid that kind of othering that puts them outside the pale.
1: Exactly. And I see, I don't, you know, I don't really know where I feel, how I feel about like atonement uh, theology. I don't know how I feel about, you know, like the cross is Jesus dying for your sin. I think I'm relearning a lot of that and thinking a lot about that in a more queer way right now. so I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about like universal salvation. I don't, I'm not, not really fond of hell. I'm not really sure there's a ton of exist, like, you know, proof for its existence. But like, I think if religion is gonna mean something now, and if I've seen so much beauty in so many diverse religious spaces, cause I've tried to be intentionally interfaith, right? We all have to be majoring on some of the same majors, right? So we all have our own dangerous ideas, but we all have our own good ideas. And like, I, I think that sometimes it can seem almost marginalizing uh, to people to say, oh, well, we all believe the same thing. Cause we don't all believe the same thing. Yeah. We all believe very different things, but we have some major themes. So like, there's this tension of like other, not other, how do we agree? What, like, what do we do? You know? So the, the,
0: the way we talk about it at CTS, we talk about cultivating common ground mm-hmm. and also dignifying difference, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. you can't do one without the other if right. you're really going to do substantive interreligious engagement. And, and dignifying the difference also means excavating those sore spots, right? The, talking about the elephants in the room sometimes. <laughs> um, but we do, you know, we, we can inspire each other with beauty sometimes that's very different from the, own. Mm our own way of thinking about something so for instance in your introduction when you said we're talking about spiritual stuff the kind you can't the kind of stuff you can't see and taste and whatever because Mm. Judaism has such a strong ritual dimension Mm. designed to be entrances to the spiritual world I think I taste and smell spirituality all the time
1: right true (laughs) very true very true yeah yeah so
0: you know it's the ways that we look at you know, at the diversity of the way, of the way people do spirituality and um, mm-hmm. can be inspired by it, because it, it can mm-hmm. be very beautiful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I went to a um, I've gone to a couple Passover seders before, but my friends invited me to one this year because I'd been kind of putting out the word. And I was like, hey, does anybody here like anybody in town, are you Jewish? I want to talk to you because um, I live in a super small town. Uh, I happen to be a hairdresser right now. And so I just kind of put out the words to all my guests. I'm like, I'm looking for interesting people to lure on to my podcast, you know, uh, but they invited me to. Um, to pass over and it is it's 100% true that's all tactile experiences right. uh that that replicate and, and set your attention and your thoughts back on a, a religious you know a religious tradition and so you so you you know I was othering even my attempt to be not othering you know
0: <laughs> no we um, just can't it's so big and so diverse yeah. we can't we can't yeah. contain it in any brief introduction I Absolutely. wasn't really a hard time for the enterprise just no sort of lifting up the Absolutely, yeah. No, and 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 there are a lot of Jews who, for instance, don't know that one of the traditions inside um, the sort of Jewish community that comes from North Africa and um, uh, has another tradition that isn't part of the European tradition during Passover to get the experience of going out of Egypt, the people would pack up matzah in a you know in a napkin and tie it (laughs) to stick and hang over the shoulder and like walk around the house or the block or whatever, right? All right. Yeah, going out of Egypt. So yeah. there's diversity inside the traditions that we don't even know.
1: That you don't even know about, absolutely. I liked the quote from the book uh, where you said, you know, we can't shed our own context as we try to step into other people. And that ne- that you know that necessitates or, or facilitates a clouding of our own interpretation. I, I freelanced off your quote at the end a little bit. Hopefully I was I, just doing it to clarify, but I think it's so true because you have to, you know, at some point, have to say like this just is my context and so i actually try to on conversations i try to fully disclose all the time because because i'll talk a lot about christianity because i happen to have some roots there and i've got some contacts of people who have also realized that a lot of what we were taught is bullshit a lot of people from my alma mater um and so i i try to disclose like i'm talking about christianity here because it's from my perspective but i think these apply ideas apply broadly or you know next week we're talking about islam make sure you stick around so it's 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 all in the soup there, but you still have a context, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um so uh one of my one of the examples I bring in the book of trying to do critique of other people's religious ideas, right? So self critique has this two at least two directions, right? Where we're really doing I have a great example by the way that I didn't put in the book that I came across afterwards, a real self critique that I think Kind of transformational, but for now, I'll just share the, the one of the examples I bring of somebody trying to do a sensitive critique of somebody else's version of Christianity is Diana Eck. When the Southern Baptist put out this pamphlet around Hinduism, um, it said some really nasty things. I can't
1: I... imagine how that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so she wrote she wrote to them directly and then shared this letter publicly. She said, as a scholar of Hinduism, because she is. I must say you've seriously misrepresented the Hindu tradition and I'd be happy to speak with you about where I think the portrayal is misleading. As an American and fellow citizen, however, I'll defend your right to believe and practice Christianity as you do and to believe the worst about our Hindu neighbors, to believe they're all going to hell and to say so privately and publicly. But as a Christian, let me challenge you here. For I believe that your views of our neighbors are not well grounded in the gospel of Christ as I understand it. So she did exactly what you said. She said, as I understand the gospel, I think you guys have missed it. Right? You mm-hmm. <laughs> missed the point. Um, and she said, and I happen to know awful lot about this Hindu tradition stuff.
1: Right, right. And
0: I'm happy to talk to you about it. So it wasn't get out of here you're you know you're racists or you're religious bigots or whatever it was hey let's talk more about these traditions and and even let's talk about our Christianity because I see it really different than you do and and then I think it's really important because I think for some reason and and it um I I don't think it's well grounded but there are a lot of people in the theologically conservative world who feel that somehow their religious freedom is under attack. Yes. Um, and we, were, we don't have to go in there in depth, but I think it was really important that she say, I affirm your right to say this, yep. right? I disagree. I think it's bad stuff, but I affirm your right to say it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's one of those interactions where there's, there's church and state at play there too, yeah. you know, like you have, uh, like you, you like you talked about in, in the book, you know, there's always, there's always co-occurring social constructs and social um, mores and institutions that impact and interact with this idea of religion too, which can create even more, uh, let's say, let's say more potential for friction, right? Because The idea that you have, and and I think you hinted the book, I can't remember exact quote, but the idea uh, is eventually, right. if if I believe in this and my God is right, then someone has to be wrong, right? and someone else's God has to be false. And then that gets conflated with with state when traditions get mixed up in that. And then you're really sitting on a powder keg of things that can be equally, um, if not exponentially as harmful as they are helpful.
0: Right I think we have to continue the work of disestablishing religion which is to say that one person's religion cannot fashion law for yes. the diversity of faiths in in this country
1: Absolutely. at the same
0: time that we get better at talking about religion together in the public square right it's not yeah. off limits yeah. um, but we have to get better at doing it and and religious freedom doesn't mean that I can't Say out loud that I think this religious idea is really bad. Right, right. right? I mean, and and try to explain why I think it's dangerous. Um, yeah. We tend to think that it means, you know, that bad ideas should just get a pass, and that's affirming your religious freedom. You're free to believe it, but I'm also free to critique it. And it, of course, it can be done badly, and it can give of room to religious bigotry. But the religious bigots are out there talking anyway, so we yes. might try to model a better. Right. Example for how to engage each other and challenge each other around around religious ideas and also support each other in our
1: yeah yeah i think i like that i i do like that thing about cts that that i've heard a couple times is that dignifying diversity because you got you got to give credit to it our experiences are not the same but in what ways can 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 we grow i kind of like the idea of like like brackish water right where it's not exactly salt water it's not exactly fresh water but things are mixing and oftentimes that's like a really fertile kind of environment and fishing ground and, and ecological system in that kind of space and i think that that's you know that's where a lot of evolution like occurs in biology why would it not in conversation
0: that's, i like the i like the metaphor
1: yeah, it just popped into my head, like maybe like last week, probably because I'm in Puerto Rico right now. And I, I got to go up and tell you, okay, like into the rainforest and see like a real rainforest for the first time. Um, and then like from the rainforest, you can see the ocean. Like it's, it's so cool. It's a beautiful place. Um, but uh, I think that's where that like metaphor started turning in my head. And I think that like, instead of running from that, we got to embrace it. Uh, I think a lot of conservative folks, and a lot of Christian folks are, um, and a lot of white folks are uncomfortable uh, talking about certain things in the public sphere. One of them is race and one of them is religion. Um, whereas when I went to Nyack College right outside of New York City, we could talk about race all day. I learned so much about race because I realized that I had one. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, my parents didn't talk about race when I grew up, and so, like, how are we ever going to talk about it? But, but so, so my friends that were Black and Brown were comfortable talking about race, and, and that made me comfortable talking about race, and I think we've got to do that same thing when it comes to religious and spiritual uh, conversation, is it, you can't run from it. Like, we'll never find common ground if we're not talking. <laughs>
0: Right, and it's not only common ground. Of course, we want to be able to make the world more full of justice and more exactly. full of mercy. And um, and if we're going to do that work together, we have to be able to talk about tough stuff. And of course, you these things intersect. We don't come to we don't come to the table with a single identity, right? We come raised yeah. and gendered. We and do with a sexual orientation and with yep. our spiritual life stance, and you know all of these things and class yep. and yes. you know. Yep, so, and we do. Um, and they all impact each other.
1: Yeah, and they're innate, like you don't choose um. them. <laughs> I like to say, the way I like to say, especially about privilege and stuff is like, I I didn't choose it, but I'm responsible for what I do with it, right? And I can sh- I can choose to share the privilege or I can choose to hoard it. So, so like, instead of just denying that it exists, let's embrace it and let's talk about what it is and what it isn't and what it could do in the world, you know? at least that's how i I see it i don't know maybe i'm crazy
0: i had a colleague who in rabbinical school gave we all had to give a couple sermons at the school a couple times during our five years you got you have it easy it's short yeah we had five years and that's (laughs) one of the shorter ones but um, a couple sermons long but i still remember i've been ordained for now for i think for over 30 years but i still remember a sermon he gave when we were students where he talked about joseph Huh. And he said that the problem that Jacob had wasn't that he made Joseph feel special. problem so was he couldn't make all of his children feel that way. Mm. Which I thought was a really beautiful way of talking and thinking about. It. Now what did you say that made me think about this story? I just got
1: totally distracted. What did know, you just say? Doggle preach. I'm still, now I'm thinking about that, right? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's okay we'll come back to it okay it <laughs> it's something good. to do with it it's all good i believe you <laughs> um it's so true that, like we just oh i think we were talking about you how we've got to have a way to talk to each other and like i was you know i had to become comfortable talking about, talking about race yeah Right. right you're
0: talking about privilege so i was yep. thinking right it's not that the things that privilege can sometimes do for you are inherently bad it's that you only you have it and other people don't
1: exactly and
0: So joseph had this transformative, you know, love, sense of purpose, (laughs) coat of many colors, whatever it
1: is. Yeah, whatever it is.
0: Right, why couldn't all of his kids, right? All the kids have that Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately that's where the idea of justice comes into play for me. And that's why in the years where I, I couldn't find a space within a religious community, which was absolutely devastating to me, to be honest, because I double fisted the Kool-Aid, that I had a calling, and that I was special, and that, you know, it was an individual calling, um, and my whole world was Christian. I was, so I was in it to win it, you know, in terms of Christianity, and, and I had to give that all up, um, and so in the interim, I came to this idea of justice, because if, if I can't be in a sanctuary, I might as well be working to make the world a place where the privilege is more equally distributed, right? Idealist, I know, that's why I ended up in social work, and subsequently burnout. And and it, yes, <laughs> <laughs> And now I'm here. Um, I'd liked, one of the things that I talked about now, we don't ha- you and I don't have to talk about this for very long, because, frankly, in, intellectually, in my head, I'm in a different place. than I think a lot of people are when it when it comes to scripture, which is like kind of the first section of your like, you like those couple sections, right, of things uh, within religion that could be dangerous. Um but the idea of scripture, I want to make sure I mention it because I know that not everybody has the kind of conversations that you and I are privileged enough to have on a daily basis, you know, in an academic setting. Uh, but for me, when I think of scripture and when it comes to dangerous religious ideas, and I think scripture is innately dangerous uh, because it's the idea that I'm holding the rules that God gave. And I think that a lot of... Um, a lot of people don't know, which is mind-blowing to me, that like Judaism, Islam, Christianity, like we're sharing a good, we're reading off each other's tests and, and we were and we were reading off the pagans, like, you know. So I think that people need to realize more, especially when it comes to scripture, that like we share stuff and there's good stuff in there. And like I'm not afraid to read C S Lewis or Aesop because because it's a, it's a in some way it's a living document that's still speaking to me. So I need to be open to that. Um, understanding of scripture. So like I'm there intellectually, but I think some people don't really realize that. Um, what would you say, at least in terms of your experience, because you've got a lot of interreligious experience here. Um, how how do you think that, you know, people tend to interact um, with different scriptures and and shape communities that understand and support the validity of all scriptures, you know? So people
0: you know, as they do in general around scripture, people respond in all kinds of different ways. So there are beautiful efforts like um, an an international organization called Scriptural Reasoning, which brings, it was historically Jews, Christians, and Muslims, and now it's expanded a little bit, brought more broadly to other Eastern traditions that do have sacred texts to bring, come together and read each other's scriptures together, passages that's kind of interrelate and talk to each other and Mm -hmm. just sort of come to understand each other's sacred stories. And it's a beautiful, you know, mutually affirming search of discovery. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time that other people will wield their scripture as a weapon against somebody and says, you know, this. I know that I'm right because God told me I'm right because here it is in my scripture. The thing is, and this is one of the things we talk about in the book, it's not just clobber verses, right? that, That we worry about. It's the fact that the very idea that you can say, I hold God's truth in my hand, without recognizing that you select the verses you're paying attention to and you select what you think they mean. Right, you might not be doing it wholly alone, but it's never been universal. Right, it's always been disputed what these things mean. And in fact, if you would read your scripture a little more carefully, I could show you some things.
1: <laughs> yes, um, when when you were you going know. when you were going off on this, and I think it was like the maybe like chapter two or so, I was my highlighter was like. I was just loving it (laughs) because you're just so right. Like, especially in terms of interpretation, like, I don't know how it's 2021. Well, the last year has really shown me a lot in terms of hive mind, but I don't know how in 2021, we still still have to explain to people that you read with the context. Like, did we not take English class people? Because I remember hearing this shit in like eighth grade. (laughs) Right.
0: But at the same time, you know, because scripture is another one of those ideas that has both the dangerous part and the really wondrous part, right? Mm -hmm. People of the book assign abiding relevance to a text that they deem sacred, and it's full of promise too, right? It's a kind of a control of the human experiment in our development. We can test out new ideas. We can kind of put a check on um, less worthy desires that can call us to account. It can challenge us to grow in goodness, but it does also canonize othering and provide this sense of ultimacy so that we sometimes end up forfeiting other values. Um, Yeah. And, oh, which brings me back to actually, I wanted to share with you the um, example, my favorite example of self-critical faith. Yes, yes. It it comes from an evangelical Christian, um, a pastor, a Reverend named Rob Shank, who with his brother really began the anti-abortion movement. So, People don't know this, but the evangelical community supported Roe v. Wade when it was first issued, right? No religious idea has always meant what people think it means. Exactly. And so the evangelical community at first supported Roe v. Wade. And and Reverend Shank was among the people who felt differently about fetal life and started organizing a movement. But last fall, he published a series of blog posts about self-critical it was basically what's going on with evangelical christianity yeah and and he talked about himself losing sight of the welfare of pregnant women losing sight of the greatest commandments of loving god and loving neighbor losing sight of everything that's required to be pro-life as taught (sighs) in scripture right including life beyond the womb And he acknowledges that he got caught up in the culture wars and in the rightness of his cause and the glorification of his own reputation and helped to birth this movement that evidently was not pursuing the common good because it resorts to violence and it's abandoned all its other ethical commitments. All of them. (laughs) He still believes fetal life should be protected, but not at the expense of women. And he's willing to sit and grapple with that with other people in the pursuit of common good. And also began to explore what Judaism says about the beginnings of life because he recognizes Jesus was a nice Jewish boy. Um, So as self-critique, I was just blown away by this because of course it makes the point way more effectively than I ever could. Yeah, And it reveals to progressives this intra-faith diversity the challenge is a bias I sometimes find in progressive spaces against evangelical Christianity, right? It's hurt yeah. real people. There are communities and individuals who have hurt real people, right? And Ooh. we need to challenge evangelicals to do that yeah. in, in real time and in powerful ways. At the same time, we can't lump all evangelicals together and have them always be the problem, right? Rather Bye. than the people with whom, who are different from us, with whom we interrelate. So, yes, anyway, Shanks. Blog post blew me away yeah. as having this wonderful capacity to recognize he was reading particular parts of scripture and ignoring other parts. Yeah, and they've, they've, even our biblical literalist, we're still doing the choosing.
1: Yes. Thank you. Yes. Even if you're a biblical literalist, you're still doing the choosing. Now, I mean, he probably is virtually canonizable for like evangelicals if they believed in such, right? Um, and I would love to hear, like I would just love to hear a real honest conversation there because a lot of times what I hear, especially in my situation as a, you know, as a person who came out as a lesbian and then as trans and then as non-binary, because I'm a sucker apparently for coming out. Um, uh, I, I get a lot of, you know, I just believe what Jesus says, and I, I always hear it in that, in that voice. And I just read the Bible, and I'm like, me too, motherfucker. Sorry for the language, but, but, but like for real. this part here. About let's, let's yeah. talk about it. About Who is your neighbor? Yep. And, and like and it's not even just the clobber verses because like I've talked about those ad nauseum for a decade now. I'm almost over them. Like I'm post clobber verses maybe because I, I, I'll be like, here's a link to my t- last 10 videos on the topic. But let's talk about how many
0: three verses of this vast literature. So let's talk, let's talk about
1: the rest. Let's talk about the rest. Let's talk about the over 2000 references to poverty and justice that you don't want to deal with. Right. Let's talk about those, because I just saw I just saw someone um, I've been asking people, which is this is like a little bit masochistic, but I've been asking people to send me clips of like ridiculous things that they've heard pastors say. Um, And one of them was this this pastor was this pastor was trying to make a case that biblical justice and social justice were different. And I was like, oh, God, I literally wrote on the comment bar. I was like, I need a drink before I even watch this. like you're you're reading something into it you're reading your narrative into it that's not right. a and problem there's no, to,
0: there's no way to avoid that and what's interesting is that the the traditions i know anything about which are judaism christianity and islam mm-hmm. they understood that right from mm-hmm. the get go so it doesn't have to be that you acknowledge as we do, as many of us do today that these are human texts you could yes. still believe there were divine texts. You could yeah. be a thousand years ago and there were already these self-critical tools for, not, for, for recognizing that scripture can sometimes be used as a weapon against one another and we need to avoid it. So Absolutely. there's a multivocality that's built in. There's yeah. the, uh, a, a recognition of the value of doubt. There's yeah. a recognition that what we're after is the pursuit of a, a path, a truth to live by, not an absolute truth. Right, we're talking about faith, not certainty. Yep. And there are all of these things that were applied to the reading of scripture to prevent it from being wielded against one another. Yeah. And it didn't yeah. always work, but those verses yeah. were always
1: there. But they were in there. And like they were, we were, tr- someone, I don't, someone was trying. Someone, right. and back in like 350 was trying real hard right. to say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. There you go, exactly. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the translation is. I, you know where the jots and tittles and everything go, but I think that I think that there there is so there's so much value to be gleaned, especially especially from an interfaith reading, um, because like I'm finding, uh, to be honest, I have like PTSD when it comes to reading the Bible, like I'm not trying to, but I've been really enjoying reading, um, you know, the the Tanakh. Um, I've been enjoying, I've been like toying around with the Quran and I'm finding more spiritual enlightenment in those, when, whereas I still have a negative reaction to the Bible, you know? and. and I think we got to get to a place where we can celebrate that, you know, and not just with scripture, but with with tradition, right? Like there are there are things to be learned. And I really want to, um, I've been working really hard to bring uh, Muslim voices into that conversation as well, because I feel like, you know, where at least from where I sit in Christianity, um, we're okay, we're like Jews, they're cool. Like they kind of know what's up. You know, they, they might have some ideas, but like Christians will not, they're not going there with Islam. And I'm like, bro, like, have you ever read, have you ever read like Rumi? Have you ever read, you know, Khalil Gibran? Like there's there's so much to be gleaned from that. We have to be facilitating that conversation.
0: Absolutely, but as you surely have discovered along the way in your conversations, right? The way to to combat anti-Muslim bias or Islamophobia, depending on how you want to think about it and their ways to reasons to critique every term. But <clears throat> it's not so much by having them understand the five pillars or read the Quran, it's to getting to know Muslims, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it, and it's also wonderful to become inter-religiously literate. And once you're in relationship with Muslims, you'll want to be literate in a faith that matters to them. Yes. Um, yes you know, so that you could
1: wish them today a Ramadan Mubarak, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I've been trying to post on that. I've been trying to like, to like get up on that um, and make sure people like, I don't want to just say I'm interfaith. You must be intentionally interfaith. You're not accidentally interfaith. That's something I've really learned and I've been challenging myself uh, too. And that's also too, why I wanted to have this, this conversation with you because so here we are, here I am, right? Let's, I don't even care if anyone else is watching. I'm not even watching the Comments to be honest, because I'm having too much fun here. But um, what do you think? Like, like, and this might be beyond the scope of your book. But like, in your experience, in interfaith work and in interfaith speaking, like, what do you think we need to do to build institutions, right, Or, or or churches, like, what whatever that means to to build groups of community, right? where we are where where that's the the center point right like that's the point that everything else spins around is this beauty of inter you know intersectionality um how, what are your thoughts on that like in terms of embracing both the the both sides of the flame when it comes to these dangerous religious ideas and building a community that is you know intentionally intersectional
0: There are a hundred ways to do it, and I think people have to find their niche, right? (laughs) So, um, and I like to think, at least in my work as a congregational rabbi, that a synagogue was very much like that, right? That (laughs) some people came to study, and some people came to pray, and some people came for the community, and right, and some people came to do social justice work, and there were lots of different doorways in, and then we were together in community, and we tried to figure out what that meant together, having kind of like that. Yeah. So I think there are lots of different ways to live into our commitments, which do intersect. And so when I, one of the courses where I'll see you is living into our commitments. I um, saw that. <laughs> and um, you know, because CTS has these great aspirational commitments around race and gender and sexuality and class and religion and environment. But as you said earlier, You know, you you can't just casually say, well, I believe in that, right? That's not a commitment. Mm -hmm. How do you live into these commitments and make them real? So, you know, I I do often center the interreligious dimension and then have the intersected stuff come out of that. So so for right now, for instance, we're working on a project that's going to be an interactive website that does anti-racism work more oh, cool. religiously diverse communities, right? Ooh. So the idea is it it's not only about learning about systemic racism, it has those tools, but it's also going to be kind of a spiritual pathway for sustaining anti-racism work. So it has teachings from multiple traditions that could inspire and inform the way we think about this work. Um it has it, it will have ways for activists to hopefully engage one another and, very cool. and generate yeah. some, some cool stuff. So, so, you know, I have no idea how impactful it will be, but we do have a wonderful project, yeah. project director, Camila Mumin Rashad coming to help put it together. And oh, cool. so we're very excited about it. Yeah. But I think that in, in, you know, out in different people's communities, like what can you, I'm, I'm in the small town, you know, we didn't right. have any quote religious diversity. I love it when students tell me that. like I think you're wrong go to the meatpacking plant just open up your eyes yeah go to the nearest campus go to the right um you know look harder and I bet you'll find it yeah But, but one of the interesting things we've discovered during COVID of course is we can we don't necessarily have to be geographically yeah close to one another in order to connect so you know, there are a lot of communities that have started some interreligious work. Sometimes it starts with really basic stuff, like, "Hey, let's feed hungry people together." Yeah, yep. Or, or "Hey, you know, Thanksgiving—it's got some—it's got some historical problems, but pretty much we do it across religions. So let's do an interreligious <laughs> Thanksgiving service." And sometimes they're terrible. Yeah. Right? But at least it's a community that's trying to figure out how do we celebrate the religious diversity in our community, sometimes it comes up as a matter of law. So there was um, a community with a growing Muslim population and they wanted to, to have the adhan, the, the, the recorded voice of the call to prayer, yeah, come out publicly in the community five times a day when the Muslims are called to pray. And right, do you make space for that in your community? Church bells ring, you know, <laughs> out in public space. How about the Adhan? So, um, so it, it comes up in social justice work, it comes up in law, it comes up in just kind of create sacred space together. Um, you know, you can seek it out in these efforts like scriptural reasoning or ways to study and grow together. Um, but I, I think that the more we actually meet each other Right. Um, yeah. The better that work progresses, and I think, for instance, this is the reason that that the LGBTQ community has made so much progress, although there's so far to go, but so much progress so quickly is that everybody actually knows somebody yes. who's impacted by LGBTQ legislation, social yeah. practices, religious treatment, etc. And yeah, uh, and it's changed you know people's attitudes pretty rapidly and there's still I like, guess I said a whole lot of work to do
1: yes but I, I feel but like- in, in terms of social change that's pretty fast right like yeah, it's right. turning the Titanic around right um it reminds <laughs> me of it's a very slow boat <laughs> um I don't know if you've seen the movie Milk um about yeah. the po- politician Harvey Milk it reminds me of the scene mm-hmm. where they're in the basement and he's like are you out and he's like call your family, like they have to know. And I think that that's true, that's true too. And I've noticed that part of in what I'm trying to do in, in my small town and then also in my small, um, I have inroads to a small cloistered religious community. And like, they're not happy I have them right now, but I got them <laughs> because welcome to the yet College alumni page, there's a plug for you. Uh, but I'm posting this all over the place like, um, I'm trying to build connections with LGBTQ Muslims like for over in, in Uh, leading up to the holy month, I had an LGBTQ non-binary, uh, like Jewish person who also happens to have autism. I had a, an LGBTQ um, Muslim. I have myself. Like we're trying to, we're trying to get those different voices out in the public square, and I think you have to intentionally do that. And I think an important part of what you were what you've been saying, is that you leave the criticism of faith belongs to the people of it. Right? And it only, be, it becomes problematic when we aren't critical of ourselves. We, it's not my job to criticize Islam, it's my job to criticize Christianity, right? And if we set ourselves up with those expectations of personal responsibility, perhaps we'll be in a better place.
0: So I actually wouldn't make that broad yeah. Um, Although there are people who think that that's right. That's certainly careful, right? Mm-hmm. But I, for instance, recently published an op-ed in USA Today criticizing Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. It isn't a critique of Christianity, right, right. because Christian nationalism is a distortion of Christianity. Yes. But, but it is a manifestation of Christianity that I think is dangerous to our collective well-being. And, I, you know, I cited Christians who are doing that work, the Christians mm-hmm. Against Christian Nationalism group. But... But I felt it was important for me to say, hey, I think this threatens my well-being and the well-being of other non-Christians mm-hmm. in the way that it is trying to impose this sort of idolatrous version uh, of Christianity through the state. Yeah. And um, uh, so that is a critique of Christianity. But yeah. I, um, and there were people, well, as I said, I. I tried for it not to be a critique of Christianity, but specifically of Christian nationalism. But there were right. people who felt it was a critique of Christianity. And of course. People <laughs> offended that this rabbi would say such a thing. So it's fought, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, no, however careful you try to be about this, whether it's intra-faith or interfaith, critique is always going to be taken personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I wouldn't put off limits and I wouldn't. I, and I would say that we can critique a religion, right? We can critique an idea, right? True. Something that's happening True. as a manifestation and claiming that religion as its justification, and that we can critique.
1: That's a good right? point. One of the that's problems about point. the
0: anti-Muslim bias is people are just throwing <laughs> shit at Islam <laughs> for you know no good reason, pretending right. that there's a threat when there isn't. Right. You know these anti-Sharia laws are absurd. Right. Um, because because A, we don't need them and Muslims are not pursuing Sharia to overtake the legal system. I just don't
1: understand that. (laughs) No, that's a really good point though. That's a really good point that you just made that um, like, Critiquing a religion is is different than critiquing an idea that's happening, right? Because because just like with scripture, everybody's coming to it with a context, and they're they're coming out of it with a, a contextual understanding. And so, it, a lot of times where we see these kind of like Christian nationalism, for example, we see this rampant kind of dangerous, vile, whatever offshoot of of Christian theology, and it's not it's not Christianity. It's this it's this idea that comes from it, but I mean, religion is like really potent breeding ground for that. You know what I mean? It's like a dark, wet space and bacteria. <laughs> In the brackish water. In the brackish water. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot of metaphors, but it does seem to be because like, coming back to what you said about scripture, like there is an innate understanding of of uh, humans have ascribed power to religion right and so if you can wield it it's like the ultimate lightning bolt right and so there are there's so many ways for it to go to go sideways so
0: right and there are all kinds of ideas that have you know some of the same dichotomy or or excuse me dialectic of of potential positive impact and mm. dangerous impact right but yeah. There are particular qualities to religion, and one of them you just named, and that's that, that sense of ultimacy, right? This one overrides everything else. And that gives it a particular kind of
1: power. It does, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely, I can't, I, I, I can't remember all of the things that you had listed that, that make religion potentially dangerous, but I could see that being an absolute main tenant uh, or facet of it that gives it the power that it does is that ultimacy. And that, um, I think you see that a lot in terms of like, oh, I'm chosen or I'm, I'm God's chosen one. Well, what does that mean about the rest of us? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's a big assertion I think that people like to make is like, especially with like a prosperity gospel type mindset is, well, well, God chose me and God's blessing me. But, but like the backside of that is, what are you saying to everybody else, right? Yeah. Like, am I not chosen? am I not blessed? Like, what, what does that mean? You know? Right. Right. I have, i have to say that. So I, it's just so, it's so interesting to me because, uh, you know, I, I keep saying essentially the same thing, but it can be so good, but it can be so bad. And I think that's probably because that's my context right now Um, is trying to figure out why the hell I can't give up on faith. And I'm, I'm not like I'm not die-hard Christian, um, so actually I would probably never walk into a place or a space and describe myself as a Christian. There would be a paragraph about how I used to be a Christian but I would never just say Christian, you know? <laughs> um, but I, there's something to, I'm, I'm, I'm religious, non-binary, I'm religiously non-binary but there's something to religion that we need in the world. Uh, and so I guess the real question is, you know, what can you do in your time and space to mitigate the danger, um, but really embrace the beauty of it, right? Because there's something that religion brings to the world. There is, you know.
0: Absolutely, when in, in early in the book, I go into this deep dive, kind of a nerdy thing where I'm talking about what I mean by dangerous, what do I mean by religious and what do I mean by ideas? And when I talk mm-hmm. about religion, what, is it, what do I mean by religious? I end up looking at, rather than trying to define religion because people have failed to do that for centuries, yeah. um, I look at the way it's working on us, right? And yeah. in us. And it, it, it's part of our psychology, right? Our, our will to pleasure, our will to purpose and meaning, our will to power. It's part of our sociology, right? Our buildings of community. It's part of our anthropology. It's part of our biology, right? There, There's interesting studies being done about the way it is built in, in some ways, to our DNA and to our evolution. So, so it's absolutely so deeply embedded um, that... It's A, very powerful, but B, awfully, you know, full of the potential to do good work through Mm -hmm. our being. And I think that the the key is self-critical faith, right? The Mm -hmm. capacity to recognize how religious ideas, including those taught in our own traditions, including those that we believe have value, can also be a source of harm. We need to recognize
1: that. Yeah.
0: We need to recognize that, con- that faith isn't about certainty and it's not mm. about absolute truth, but the truths that we, I, am going to live by. Um, uh, I'll tell you a story in a second about what one of my rabbis' answers to an interesting question. In the, um, anyway, but another part of self-critical faith is the desire to grow and change in the way that we think and believe and to see that our traditions, the profound dynamism of them and their multiplicity is one of the gifts, right? It wasn't ever mm-hmm. meant to be to be contained in this tight little unchanging. Yeah,
1: box.
0: It, it it always has changed, right? The box that you think is never changing changed before that box was built. Right? Yes. And yes. And so we have to deepen faith by allowing for that complexity and then we have to be willing to live in that tension with that mm. a commitment hopefully to our common good. And yeah so we
1: need a commitment to intellectual honesty like right. i think i think so many people and i'm pretty sure this this was something that you touched on right after that what is religious what is dangerous what is idea was um the intellectual dishonesty of of kind of denying the the these components of religion right like you need to be intellectually honest and you need to say this is what i believe this is where i'm at this is what is I can support as fact. This is what I've been taught, and just have an intellectually honest assessment of where you are and where you're engaging in the conversation from. You have and to part have of it.
0: that. Honest, yeah, part of that honesty has to be recognizing that you know there's a tendency if somebody does something you think is dangerous in religion. Well, they're not whatever. They're not Christian. They're not Muslim. They're not Jewish. They're not Buddhist. Right. That that's not the religion that I claim. Well that might be true. It's not the religion that you claim, but it's a different version that they claim. Yeah. yeah. So it's not religious, because religion has shown its capacity to do great good and great harm. So yes, but yes, it is religion, and it's a different version of that religion than yours, maybe, but we can't we can't be dishonest in that way. And we also can't deny so there's another way to excuse the bad stuff that religion does by saying, Well, that's just like political purposes, misusing religion to do those things. And while there's some truth to that sometimes, religion is still the spirituality that drives it, that justifies it, right? It, it's, it's, and I say this about the Capitol riot, right? Those people who were there, you know, thanking Jesus that they had taken the Senate floor, um, were, there's a model of holy war, right? In their tradition that they can model, yeah. right? When they want and, so we can't we can't let religion off the hook that way either. so right. like you said we have to claim what is ours but we also have to claim the tradition yes. that manifests in multiple ways and, yeah. and reckon with that
1: yeah and i hear a lot of uh, especially within christianity once again admitting my bias uh you know that's what a lot of what my comments are going to be based out of but there's this i I hear a lot of in, in christianity well that's not my jesus or that's not you know how how my church operates but the reality is is they're claiming the same Jesus that you're claiming. So like, you've got to deal with that in some way, you know? Right. Um, I, I, people say that all the time. Well, that's not how my, you know, especially with, with gay people, like, well, that's not how my church believes. And I'm like, really? Cause I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that if I walked in there, I could tell you five ways that they don't accept gay people.
0: <laughs> right. And even things that we think are totally innocuous have dangerous dimensions, yes. right? I talk about this in the book briefly, but if people, you know, peace, Right, we we want peace, we're a a religion of peace, right? Peace has been used and can be and is used um, to, you know, to deflect necessary change that causes Mm -hmm. conflict. Yes, So peace isn't always an absolute value. I'm not arguing, I believe in non-violent change, but people project peace into trying to dispel conflicts of all sorts.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a thing.
0: Right? And love, love can be oppressive. Like Jews have had uh, a lot of oppressive Christian love in the centuries long ago, right? We just, we love you to death. We just want you to be Christian. so, I don't know how
1: you all put up with us, to be honest, because you were like there. You were like, yeah, we've we've been here. We've been saying this since literally before Jesus was born. And you guys are just catching on to it. And then and then you have the Christians that are all like Yahweh, Mashiach, like just just throwing out like Hebrew words that are like, is that have you ever read another Hebrew word? Would you know what that looked like on the page? Like, stop just appropriating. Like, I don't know how you guys put up right. with us.
0: Pyro-Semitism is better than the anti-Semitism So. I just keep working on the improvement process, <laughs> right?
1: You're like, uh, "Well, you know, we'll take it, that."
0: But the survival is akin to what? Um, so I, I teach co-teaching a course um, with uh, with Dr. Christoph Ringer uh, called "Justice at the Intersections: Race, <sighs> Gender, and Religion in the South," and it was supposed to be a study tour. it was supposed to go last May, but anyway, we we're doing some preliminary reading and discussions with the students, and one of the students kind of privately asked. Um, you know, how is it at, really t- directed to Dr. Ringer who's African-American who said, how is it that you like just don't wake up every day just furious, right? Just full of rage at white people. And Dr. Ringer said, That I wake up thinking about white people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your, whole, your whole life can't be about the oppressor, right? The, the survival is about that which in your own culture and tradition, which gives the heart and soul to your being um and then it gives you the strength and the resilience to struggle against the oppressor too but you're you're not all about that right can't be all that's about
1: such it. a great point that's such a great point and it is too it does point to a, a certain sense of like uh you know uh, uh like egocentrism like well <laughs> you know like you're always thinking about white people you're always thinking about christians like always this or that or the other with the oppressor but you're right you do have to uh, you know you can't i think that's kind of what i i came up against the Christian is you can't always live under the thumb of the oppressor And, and sometimes you've got to wake up and you've got to see the beauty that is in your life and you've got to go for it and embrace it because if you just stay stuck on the oppressor you'll stay stuck on the oppressor and it's not a fun place to be you know right what would you say? Now, this is just a purely curious question. Uh, were you born into Judaism? Did you choose Judaism? Because I know a lot of uh, uh, something that I've heard is that Jewish people be like, "Bro, you don't have to become Jewish. Like, it's a bit of a commitment." You know. Um, what? So, how did you come to Judaism?
0: So I was born as a Jew. Um, my both my parents uh, were. Uh, raised as Jews my Jewish heritage goes back as far as we can trace I don't have a lot of family left a lot of them were killed in the Shoah but one small branch escaped to what was then Palestine uh, and now lives in the state of Israel and one small branch escaped uh, uh, to the United States uh, between the wars and okay. uh, is here but I um, my grandfather on my father's side was a atheist communist um, you know a lot of the eastern European immigrants who came over between 1880 and 1920 not just the Jews but the the Christians as well were communists right that that they had been part of these this what they'd hoped had been revolutionary class change in Europe that all failed right and so um, so I'm sure my grandfather would be rolling over in my grave that in his grave that I'm a rabbi um, so, and, and my parents really joined the synagogue, um, because they wanted to do the social justice work, right? Mm-hmm. The whole religious part that wasn't their bag, but, mm-hmm. but Jews in Hyde Park went to K M Isaiah Israel to go do social justice work. And, right. um, you know, and that's where I got exposed and I just, I loved Hebrew first, um, and then, uh, was... Um, Sent to Israel as an exchange student uh, for six months in high school. And um, just piece by piece, it really built itself into my being. My family is very much, has always been around justice work. Um, And for me, Judaism was the spiritual deep connection that could move me to commit to it in a lifelong way. <laughs> I mean, I understood it all in my head, but Judaism was my tether to that. Yeah.
1: And yeah. You know. Yeah. I like that idea of a tether because that's something that I have noticed too. Like, uh, as someone who is, who I think is innately self-critical, uh, using your term, as I'm coming to verbally process uh, with through conversation, that I think that is kind of a good way to describe who I am as a person. Um, I, I don't know how, because God bless my family if they watch this, not not entirely a, a, an emotionally aware group of people, right? Uh, but I've went through a lot of counseling, and I feel like I am someone who has come to this place of being self-critical and and in that i've learned that there's something about christianity that tethers me to like the parts of of myself that i aspire to live up to 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 like use to the fullest right because i think they are a good thing right which is where I've lost that idea of original sin along the way, but um, uh, but there are you know, and there's something that tethers me to that, and that's why I can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater because it'd be real easy for me to be like screw Christianity, right? That would be the easier way. But for me to sit here and kind of like logically think about like what is it that keeps me tied here? Uh, it's kind of it's reminiscent of your thing, like like the thing that you said where like it's it was strong enough to make me commit to it, you know? That's beautiful.
0: Yeah. I mean, it- in, there's a Yiddish word uh kishki which has to do with your intestines right but but I when we talk about kishki memories right the, mm-hmm. the the parts of our being that are sort of deep inside when we want to begin to imagine the world transcended and transformed there often that space is fi- that capacity to imagine is filled with the way the tools and the and the teachings that first illuminated you know in our guts in our core being yeah. yeah. and so it's they they can remain even when they even when we recognize problematic elements Great. they remain our gateway to transformation
1: yeah, and I think that that's what keeps me, I guess I, that's what keeps me staying the course. Um, you know, so I I have to attribute it to just my ability to be stubborn um, because <laughs> my wife's sneaking behind the camera right now. I've trapped her in our room. <laughs> She's a ballerina, it's fine. Um, it's whatever, it's a joke. But um, yeah, no, there's there's something, there's something there in my guts that I just can't like shake it. and. Damn, if I don't wish I could, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that'd be so much easier. Um, but there's something there, and there's something of beauty, and there's something of value. Um, did you always I think want to be? Also, a... Go ahead.
0: I was just saying. I think there's also something, some way that often we continue to feel responsible to and for.
1: Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So even
0: if you left Christianity, there would be some part of you that would feel kind of responsible for Christianity's impact in the world. Yeah, And you, you want to, you know, so, so stay inside and shape it. I mean, yeah,
1: I think that's, I, and I think that's the point I came to this last summer where I was like, I don't even know if I want to claim y'all. Like, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what is the position, but I'm like the crazy uncle that keeps coming to the family reunion <laughs> at this point, because I, I keep saying this, like for, I, I've developed this attitude um, and, I, and I'm okay with it. Like the, the more, the bigger my beard gets, the sassier I get. I don't know, but I'm like, listen. I am the person that you don't want to come to the family reunion because he's drunk and high and he's telling people about all these cool new ideas and he's pulling the kids astray like the, tr- I have spent so long dealing with Christianity, that now Christianity can deal with me. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I, and it's that It's I think it really is that whole attitude of like, I'm going to change it from within like you might not even want to claim me, but I will claim very loudly that I came from you. <laughs> I do it. I do it every day. But um, what would you say has been one of the kind of just to to wrap it up? um, One of the things that we talked about tonight, like that if if only people are only going to remember two sentences of this conversation tonight, what would you want people to remember? Or if there's something that we didn't talk about that you want people to take away, what would you like want people to just burn into their brain after this conversation?
0: Well. You know, we were talking a lot about the book, so I'm thinking in terms of the book. There might be other things if I didn't have the book on my mind. But I'd say all religious ideas are dangerous, including yours, right? So grapple with it, recognize it, work at it, recognize that there are tools of self-critical faith that are deeply embedded in our traditions that we should excavate and embrace and use because it will make our lives richer and our world more beautiful
1: like that absolutely and you know I should have given you the forewarning like one time I asked someone what's something that you would want people to take away after the converse, conversation they said eat the taco bell it's not that bad for you so like I don't know <laughs> we could stick to the book we could go a lot of directions but I think that that's a that's a beautiful and poignant place to point out and I think it's true with any belief system too because we talked about um it's so funny because I had like an atheist I had Ryan Bell on who uh, was a former Seventh Day Adventist minister and now he's uh, an atheist he runs a podcast called Life after God. Um, And then the next week I had someone come on that was talking about secular humanism and they were both kind of talking about how they, they picked that up in lieu of the church, but it wasn't like they gave up belief. They just picked up a different one, you know? Um, And and so I think that no matter what your belief system is and your, your spiritual, you know, ethos, right. You need to be self-critical and you need to wrestle with it and you need to figure out what are we keeping here and what are we majoring on and what's moving us forward. You
0: know. So my colleague, Rabbi B'nai Lapi, t- has this theory she calls the crash theory and she she uses it, she, she built this analysis thinking about Judaism after the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans in 70, right, and they have to reinvent Judaism, right, she says, but they're, they're not, it's not the only people that's ever experienced a crash, right, and it can happen around our religious perspective or something else key about our worldview, but she says, everybody will hit a crash. And there you have three choices. You can deny that the crash happened, right? And continue to believe what you did, your life experience notwithstanding, right? right, just pretend right. that doesn't mean what, what it obviously means or didn't happen or whatever, right? Yep. And just believe what you always believe. Or you can abandon what you believed and go find something else, right? That makes room for that thing. She says, but, but recognize that that will crash too. <laughs> right at some point, and the third thing, the third choice, and she says, and this is what Rabbinic Judaism did: is that we're going to engage in our self-critical faith that we've learned from Hebrew Bible because it's all through Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. and we're going to figure out what we can salvage, what still makes sense in this world, and what needs to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's the dynamic faith. That's the faith that. Is
1: resilient. That's the faith that survives millennia. I love that. I'm gonna think about that for a minute. <laughs> Like this is the point of the night where I just hit pause. I'm like, see you later. I gotta go think about this for a minute, but that's so good. And it's so true. And I think it's so necessary. Um, I have to thank you so much for coming on. I'm not kidding you when I say like I'm super nerdy Um, and I just got the tattoos to look cool. Like it's all a farce, (laughs) Um, it's all a farce. In like seventh grade, I moved to a new school and I told myself, I'm gonna be cool here. Like I'm just, people are gonna believe it. Like I'm gonna sell it. And they've been believing it ever since. Um, But really uh, underneath the tattoo is like, I'm just like a kind of introverted, can't stop thinking about deep stuff all the time bookworm. <laughs> and so you're, you're, you know this this sort of stuff is my this is a lit night for me as the kids would say um, so I have to thank you for, for making time I know there's but there was some scheduling stuff but uh, I very I very much appreciate the conversation and I'm very confident that people who are on the on the page are going to appreciate it as well uh, mostly because I've recruited a bunch of former heretics from the former Christian <laughs> and missionary Alliance Naya college like what they're, they're trying to they're actually trying to block me from the alumni group right now they're like get out of here <laughs> Uh, um, but that's cool, because I think that's where I'm supposed to be. Like, someone's got to take responsibility for y'all. It's, it, I, apparently, it's going to be
0: me. <laughs> um, I'm uh, all if, from agitating in that space. I just hope they can continue to let you.
1: I hope so. We'll see. I, I mean, I'm pretty loud, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, if people want to get in contact with you, um, what would be a great way to get in contact with you, contact information that you feel comfortable sharing? Should they look you up at CTS, or what would be best?
0: They should look me up at CTS. My email's okay. on my faculty page there. Fix. There's also a website with my name um, uh, that has some of my uh, articles and Fix. and other things that so,
1: you know that you can sort of find out stuff for. <laughs> Um, yeah, and if you guys, if you're interested, you can find the op-ed uh, that that uh, Dr. McFarrenshaw comes up pretty quickly in a, in a Google search. Um, you can find <laughs> it pretty easily that way. So I was like all over. I was like Googling you. Know, I was looking about up your stuff in podcasts because I like to prep when people are going to come on. Um, and, you know, I don't have anything else to read or study, not like I have. <laughs> you know, two classes. or three tests for this week, no classes, nothing. I, I don't run a business and have five kids, like it's fine. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. I will make sure to put your contact information your in the show notes and uh, I'll probably be hitting you up again for another conversation. It was
0: great to speak with you. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Absolutely, you have a good night. Everybody else, mm-hmm. you have a great night. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This has been the Conversations Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. If you have any questions or comments or just want to get involved, feel free to join the conversation on social media. You can find us at Conversations Official on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please don't forget to rate, follow, and share this podcast. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining the conversation.